0: Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Jean, president and managing partner at Vente. He joined the company in 2000, acting as a facilitator of the Partners Committee, defining Vente's global development strategy and is a veteran driving investment, notably in hardware and communications. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review, and following the European VC on LinkedIn.
1: Jean, welcome to the European VC podcast. Super cool to have you here. How are you today? I'm,
2: I'm... <laughs> I would love to say that i'm super fine, but uh, i'm I'm at the end of a small covid uh, experience so uh, i'm getting better but uh, thank you for asking
1: listen we we wish you uh, a speedy recovery i I am probably in a similar situation to you, so I might have to mute myself to clean up my throat a bit <laughs> in the next in the next recording, but I think we're both recovering, and that's what matters so all, all good jean before we before we start before we deep dive into topics, I always like to start with with the same question, which is kind of what made you and the firm kind of exist what is the origin story what is the you know the the backstage details that few know about giant ventec to share
2: well i think we we are part of the um the pioneering wave that uh, entered that uh, european venture capital market in the late 90s uh, very early uh, 2000s so uh, the, the the landscape was was very different then uh, it was a uh, it was really a nascent ecosystem with very few Entrepreneurs, very few, uh, even fewer repeat entrepreneurs, and uh, a um, a level of of ambition that was very different from what it is today. Was the thing that you know, we're, we're, we were we were feeling a bit doomed, uh, you know, to be dominated by the by the U.S. guys and stuff. And uh, uh, at that time, uh, one of my historical partners, Alain kafi he was uh, uh, he had been doing um, you know all all kind of things in private equity uh, during the uh, uh, the late 80s and the 90s. Uh, including a bit of venture in the late 80s, which was absolutely crazy, and then then was like, you know, there's no market, so we need to do something else. And and he said, you know, it's maybe it's time to get back on that. And uh, and that's how we met. Um, on, on my side, I was um, uh, I was a sales executive in the uh, in the telecom and semiconductor industry, and uh, I created a small um, subsidiary of a, of a technology consulting group dedicated to do due diligence for private equity investors. So uh, uh, remember in 99, so everybody wanted to do tech. Uh, and nobody had a clue of of, of what it was. So uh, so uh, we we were consultants, um, created that small outfit, and that's how I met with Alain and Eric, uh, who are still my partners 22 years later, and uh, and and decided to join them in that in that adventure. So we began. We, we were lucky enough to have the sponsorship of a bank at that time, uh, which was the Texas Bank, and so they, they 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 clearly helped us two ways um, to start our our European operation. Obviously, uh, they were at that time. Chipping uh, in something like 30% of the funds, which we, which is massive. I mean, you begin with with a 30% corner investor, it's a uh, it's a game changer in the uh, in, in the industry. Um, and and then after that, when we had our first uh, you know um, venture outside of uh, uh, outside of our initial market, which was Paris, uh, they, they they helped us set up an operation in China. So that was in uh, in 2007, 2008 uh, by by providing the uh, the seed capital uh, to uh, to open the, uh, the, the, the Ventec China initiative. And so today we, we, we stand with, we, we work on, we walk on three legs. Uh, so so Ventec, as maybe uh, uh, some of your listeners know it in, uh, in Europe, uh, Ventec China, which is a sister company with 15 people in Shanghai and Hong Kong and uh, operating a different family of funds and in, investing in early stage in China and Southeast Asia. And we have a third strategy, which is a, called Alliance for Venture, and uh, which is a, a seed fund dedicated to impact companies. So that's how we were born, and then we became fully independent uh, roughly 10 years after that, when the when the financial crisis hit uh, in in 2008. All of a sudden, the, the the banking the bank guys said, "Ooh, this is not for us. That business is not for us anymore. Please leave without us." And fortunately and, and enough, we were mature enough to uh, to live our life without them.
1: Jean, I have to ask this because I, I think it's such a timely topic to some extent, which is would you be willing to share some details about that process of you know of becoming independent and what were the challenges that 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 you as a firm went through in that at that time? Because that must have been I can only imagine a challenging period of, in terms of of thinking about the future. You know, of also you know where you're gonna where you're gonna get that that money that you're getting from this big LP. Like all of those all of those dynamics. I'd love to hear what what you, uh, what you can share with us.
2: Yeah, well, um, mm. th- there would be nothing, um, no bad stories to tell. So uh, so sorry for the uh, sorry for the buzz, but. uh, I must say that we we had we had a sponsor that that was near near perfection in in every aspect. And so um, what what happened in 2008 is that uh, it, it's no secret that Netflixes went went really close to uh, bankruptcy, you know, as a as a bank. And so uh, they decided to cut into anything that was uh, hitting their their ratios in in, in terms of uh, solvency and, and and everything. And and obviously private equity uh, when you when you're facing with short term issues, private equity is not a good place to be, right? So they told us, you know, we we, we won't be there for for the future. We're going to split out. Uh, we were we were co-shareholders of the management company with them, and uh, and uh, they they just you know let us go with the uh, with the management company. I have to say that we're, we're not we're not raising big funds, so the management company has never been like a cash cow that that was that had any significance for for a bank like the Texas. So so that was not an issue for them, and they just told us you know sorry guys we're not going to be in the in your next funds. And 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 by the way we kept very good relationships with the group. And so there are other arms of the group that, uh, uh, that are LPs in our phone in our today. So uh, it, was, uh, it was very smooth, actually.
1: It's funny. We had, a, we had another guest, a Portuguese guest, and I, I, I see from Andrea's face he was going to talk about that. We had another guest that was also very much bank-sponsored, so to speak. Uh, and also at that time, uh, similar issues, right? No need to explain because you just did. But in that case, they actually had to set up a secondary transaction to buy back right, what, what was owned by the bank. Which is extremely interesting as a story, but also much more challenging story than the one you shared, which is which is really interesting. Andres, did you want to ask or say anything on that? Yes,
3: so Sean, I'd ask. It's obviously a long time ago, but I I'd love to hear if you have some learnings because there are many many who get started in VC in the corporate sector uh, in CBCs, and then you know typically or oftentimes these projects don't go too well and then you, 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 you want to spin out either a, as your own or you actually want to buy out what's there already. And I'd be curious to hear, you know, if you have some learnings as to how to navigate this, how do you ensure a good relationship with the senior leadership for whenever that time should come? Yeah. What are core things?
2: I have two key learnings. Very, very, very simple and very clear. The first one is, who's your LP base, right? So the Texas was 30% of the fund. 30% is not 100%. It makes a huge difference. Right. And uh, and uh, uh, as far as I can remember, in, in times like 2006 or something like that, was when, when the market was thriving, uh, you know, the guys at the Texas told us, hey, you, you're losing so much time uh, raising money from the outside. We are underexposed in the venture marketplace. You're looking for 150 million. We can we can put the whole 150 million. And uh, and we said, no, we said, you know, this is painful. Yeah. It is difficult to to raise funds, especially because we were very French at that time. And uh, and the, 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 the French ecosystem of LPs is definitely not deep for the lack of long resources. But, uh, but that was a very strong belief on our side that was saying, no, we say, no, we think that you know, raising money from multiple sources is a, is a guarantee for, for many things. It's a guarantee for perennity. It's a guarantee for discipline uh, and, and everything. So that, that was a lifesaver, obviously. And second, we, we, we had a shareholder agreement. I personally spent weeks and weeks negotiating that shareholder agreement of what happens if we, if we, if, if we decide not to continue together. And so trying to make it balanced. In the in the sense that uh, the sponsor was committed to put uh, 30% of, uh, of of every fund, and and they had some perks uh, related to that. So so a part of the carried interest and, and stuff like that. And we were committed to uh, to accept that money and uh, and to continue to collaborate. And and so uh, th- there was a there was a whole set of mechanics of how to unfold that if one of the parties was uh, not to respect this commitment. I would say it was. It was basically all written, uh, you know, uh, black and white uh, when we decided to split. But the most important thing is the first one. If you, you know, if you refer to corporate VC and uh, most of the corporate VC, they, they, it's a single LP thing, and they and they're putting uh, 100% of the money. What can you What can you do? I mean, you do, you, you're just starting. You're just starting from scratch, right? You, you can argue. You can argue to other LPs. And, and and do a full-fledged fundraising and say we've been working together for, uh, for a long time we know each other we have that track record blah 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 but you're, you're basically starting from scratch i,
3: I remember a conversation with a manager that was in that situation and was trying to figure out how do i best navigate this and maintaining my integrity and and not doing anything that my single lp that i've always been happy about and so on and so forth but the, the relationship was kind of uh, you know um Cooling, <laughs> their interest was was getting lower and lower. They needed to do other things. Blah blah. blah. He wanted to continue, um, and then figuring out how to do that with a single LP without stepping on any toes, just when you know out there testing uh, is is a relationship management deal that is not easily accomplished. If you if you think about so so we, we went down that route also when we when we launched China
2: we we launched it with a, a single LP with twenty five million dollars from the Texas, right and that's it. And uh, at the end of the day. A single LP is not an LP. It's just, it's just a commitment that the investment committee will look at the deals that you, that you bring. That's, that's it. You know, nothing happens if they say, oh, by the way, did, did I tell you I put 100 million? Uh, I'm going to stop. You know what happens? Nothing, right? When you have multiple, multiple LPs, then you have a default procedure and, and you, lose, you lose your money and stuff like that. But if you're a single LP, there's no default. So I very much remember when we were negotiating that credit line, so to say, uh, for to launch Ventech China. Uh, we said, you know, th- these are the intentions. We're going to put 25 million US to work and, and we, could, we could make it up to 50 or in certain conditions, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the only thing that was a commitment was to say for three years, we, we will allocate, I don't remember the, 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 the number, but maybe 1.5 million or $2 million uh, of budget for the management company. And this is the firm commitment. Yeah. And But that's the only commitment that they take. The rest is, you know, you bring your deal to a to whatever investment committee
3: it is, and they say yes or so they say no. Yeah, yeah, so you're much more exposed to the whim of the <laughs> executive branch when you have a single LP. Absolutely. Uh... And, and and the thing about
2: you know CVC is a difficult animal because you have to marry the cycles, right? And mm-hmm. we are we're long term people, especially when you're doing early stage. So you have to think ten years ahead, and uh, it's very difficult for a corporate. So so a few yeah. a few markets they have that built in. You know, I mean, I think it's no it's no uh, mystery why the, the, the um, life science corporate VCs are working really well. It's because they think yeah. 15 years ahead. It's no mystery why Intel Capital uh, has been here for always. I mean, the roadmap, the semiconductor roadmap is here uh, already for, for the next 30 years. Right?
3: But when it comes to a uh, telecom operator or uh, whoever... Uh, let's, or let's use Bank as, uh, as an example, right? <laughs> Where the hell is DeFi going yeah. to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Maybe one year after launching, you know, the priorities can change. Uh, the people can change. No one in a corporate with with you know someone super talented in a big corporate and, and ambitious will not remain ten years in the same spot so uh, so all of these are are, are are real issues on on corporate vC now you have a few exceptions if you're Google venture anyway you you, you know you can throw three hundred million at, at, at anything because it's just it's this or this or paying new buses or
3: a new cafeteria or, yeah. or, so, so who cares <laughs> but They're for a normal real. corporate uh, it's a, it's a difficult thing. I just have to ask you, but I do want to shift to China very quickly. Uh, I've always had the thought, I wonder why universities and corporates don't do more CLP rather than CVC. If you're a big LP or at least significant LP and you do bring value to the VC and, and engage with the VC in a meaningful manner, then there's quite a bit of value to get out of it. And in the end, most corporates don't know how to work with the startup well enough. To really be able to work with an early stage startup efficiently, so having that direct relationship through the CVC might might not even you know translate into something valuable, whereas a CLP would give you you know the overall understanding of what's going on through the VC, and then you know if there's actual business to be made, the VC will ensure that you can of course access the startup, but it's going to be arm's length, and that's you know you want to be at arm's length for everyone to not not be hurt by the relationship. It's the current trend, right? The corporates who want to have a bit of exposure, they they uh...
2: They're becoming LPs in some funds. Then you have a lot of things that, uh, that you have to think about. You know, uh, how real is the commitment? I mean, if you're uh, if you're Airbus and uh, you, you're putting five million in the fund, are you committed to anything? Yeah. But they, but they're trying to. But it, and usually it comes with the will of a couple of people and at, on the innovation branch who who want to have a uh, um, you know better knowledge and better intimacy with 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 the startup world and, and stuff like that. So I think it's um it's it's happening. Uh, there are lots of difficult things to handle. You know. Uh, uh, are we equipped as VCs to handle that kind of relationships? It, it's difficult if you want to spend the time. Uh, we, we, we've seen a, f- a few of our uh, uh, fellow VCs in, uh, in, in Paris having a collection of, uh, you know, like like ten or twelve corporates in their funds. It's a mystery to me of how they manage to uh, to maintain uh, a valuable relationships with uh, relationship with ten ten to twelve uh, corporates. You know, uh, most likely uh, on the innovation side of things, any any one of that twelve can. Can throw more people than you have in your whole team. I, I don't know.
1: And it's also, I also find it interesting because the average tenure of, of these innovation directors and in all of those those roles is actually really small. They don't tend to stay for long. And that's also, I think, a huge challenge for any VC trying to work with corporate, especially when the budget's coming from the innovation department or marketing or whatever, instead of coming directly from the headquarters.
2: Maybe it's just a matter of time, right? And and, and people will find, will find their stuff. Again, if we take the life science uh, example, the collaboration between the uh, the startup world and the and, and, and the big pharma is super mature. But it comes with the fact that, you know, these guys, they don't hesitate to throw big checks around for, for the winners. And, the, uh, and so it makes it
3: a valuable relationship for everyone. Okay. So now let's shift to the topic of China, because I think it, it is, honestly, we hear all the time about VCs in Europe that have very strong ties to the U.S. Yeah. Um, and have built a company or a firm with, you know, presence both in Europe and and in, in the U.S. Yeah. But you've built a company with presence in, in, in Europe and in China. Yep. Take us through that thought process. Why did you gravitate towards China? And what is it that you've built? Um, let's start there and then we can unpack. Yep. Because I think there's a lot to talk about. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I think it, it, it also comes on the back of, of one strong belief. That is, if you're not doing deals. I mean, I, we, we venture capitalists. So our core business is to do deals. Right, It's not to help companies doing biz dev in California. So if you're not doing deals, you're not on the map. You're, you are non-existent. And so uh, if we were to say, hey, I'm sending someone to Silicon Valley or to New York to uh, to represent my firm but not doing deals, either I send a young resource who will be happy to do that, but uh, I mean, what are, what are the odds that uh, that they strike great deals with Verizon, right? Or, so, or I send a senior partner and then he's going to get bored like hell. So um, uh, he or she, sorry. Unless he takes up surfing. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that's, that's, that was not my plan. So, <laughs> um, um, so we think you have to make, you have, you have to, to be able to, to be a valuable deal, play, um, deal maker and to have a credible access to premium deal flow, right? And so that's in any expansion that we've done, it was always the thing that we wanted to check. So we, we've done it in Europe, and I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll touch upon that uh, or why we expanded into Germany in the Nordics. Uh, but in China, it was very simple. In 2000, I think beginning of 2006, one of my partners, Alain, Took a trip to China with the French Association of Private Equity. He said, "You know, I haven't been to China in, in like ten years. I'm going to allocate that for those four days and stuff." He came back and he said, "You know, I didn't recognize Shanghai. Uh, I didn't recognize anything. It's just absolutely crazy. We have to do something. I have no idea what, but we have to do something." And so we started. He's the creative of the of the th- of the three, right? And um, uh, we, we, we started out by hiring a guy you know, just to explore the market and see if we could do stuff for our companies. But so exactly what I said, I don't want to send someone to do, but we hired a consultant, right. And just to explore. And, uh, and after that, so we, we, we try to gather a bit of money. And, uh, and as I said, the Texas was, was kind enough to, uh, uh, to provide that, that money. And, and we launched uh, a year and a half later because we thought something, something's happening there. That is once in a lifetime, really unbelievable. And, you know, there's, there's room, there's room. I mean, uh, you had a few uh, a few California uh, fonts uh, already there, so IDG VC was super strong, Matrix was was strong, Sequoia was starting, Charlie Perkins also, uh, and and a few local players, but really not much, and that's it. And yeah. so uh, we launched and we managed to uh, to do deals and to get a few deals. Uh, uh you know, I think we we, we had four IPOs on Nasdaq also, also in in, yeah. in the initial uh, six or seven years, and so uh, it did put us on the map. So as, yeah. as simple as that. But you have to have some some room, you know, if I'm I always, some of the LPs, they ask us, why, why don't you go and, and do this in California? And I say, you know, do you talk to a, a chef in Kentucky and say, why don't you open a restaurant in Paris? Right? I <laughs> mean, hey, man, yeah. nobody, nobody's waiting for us in California. So yeah. if we have an angle, a specific angle, why not? But if you go, just go there, be a generalist VC and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be around, what's the point? There's one European guy who, who managed to do that that's Index. But uh, they had already strong ties, brilliant guys, and 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 they suffer. I mean, I, I remember in the beginning going to San Francisco c Index, and they were like saying, "Oh, you know, it's, it's strange because in Europe we're we're, we're a bit the, uh, I mean, they're humble, so they were not saying it like that." But my understanding yeah. was that in Europe we're we're a bit the stars of the market, and here we're just like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah, those, yeah, those guys are around also." Yeah,
3: yeah. now nah, I think that has super changed. I think that has changed, by the way. Yeah, but, yeah for Index. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but not but not the reality of the market. I think that's a very good perspective and one that's overlooked a bit. We we. Give a little bit the, you know, the size of your activities in China. Could you just go a bit more into detail on that? Because you said you want to be a, a, an active and relevant dealmaker in the region. How do you fit in China? What, what's the ecosystem like? Well, you know, I'd love to hear that.
2: We have a 15 people team, uh, um, most in Shanghai and, and, uh, and a bit in Hong Kong. So we, we're doing 80% PRC, so People Republic of China, and 20% Southeast Asia, mostly Indonesia and Singapore. Uh, we're doing and series A, um, mostly focused on lifestyle. How do you equip the uh, 30 to 40 million Chinese people that access to the middle class every year? So, which is about building a new France every two years. So, I mean, that's that's a bit of business traction, right? So, that's that's basically it. And and we 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 raised a so fund four is uh, equivalent of 130 million US. Uh, yeah. we, we have half and half uh, US dollars and and RMBs. And is it is it dedicated dedicated to China that
3: yeah. that fund four or is it global? Yeah.
2: So so the, the way the way we function is that. We have, we have those three families of funds that I, that I mentioned. So the new kid on the block is the Impact Fund. So, uh, so we raised that uh, last year. Then we have the, uh, the, the flagship historical fund, which is the uh, European Fund. And then in China, they, uh, we, we raised Fund 4 in the first part of, of 2022. And the, the way we do it is that the decision-making is, uh, is separate. I don't have a vote in the Investment Committee of Antec China uh, because we think yeah. it's, it's too far away. And, uh, and you need the exposure okay. to the market. You need the exposure to the founders. But we have a weekly uh, um, video call to collaborate on deal flow and due diligence and and potential um, collaborations between the two portfolios. So we
3: maintain very close links, but we don't want to interfere with the deal making. You're obviously not Mister China, but uh, and you're drinking from your uh, Great Britain uh, <laughs> cup, which has me uh, laughing a bit here. Um, so, but but um, tell me, navigating China as you know as an investor, policy wise, and the whole you know, <laughs> it's a different different yeah, it's very, place in the world, right? It's very different.
2: But first thing first, it's, it's, it's a very different situation now than what it was 15 years ago when we started. So the, the Chinese internet is, is more separated from, from the Western internet today than it was in uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, and, uh, and, and obviously, I mean, the tensions are, are, are at, at a different level. But, um, you know, our, our team, is, our team is, is Chinese. So, so it, with the exception of one of my historical partners who relocated there in 2008 and uh, who still heads Ventec China, uh, who's European, uh, all the rest of the team is... Uh, Born, born and raised in China, which is super important if you want to do uh, early stage deals in the, in, the, in, in, in the region. It's different patterns, different risks, different uh, pros, different cons. I think the, the, the big pros in China, uh, and maybe after that we, we can go back to Europe if you want, but the big pros in China is huge TAM and, uh, and incredible ability to scale and to reach profitability. The huge con is exit is always complex, always. There's no MA market. Uh, the IPO market um, is now in, a bit in limbo. Uh, you, you don't go to the US anymore. Uh, Hong Kong is not yet up to speed. Uh, Shanghai is nowhere. So, so, so you have great assets, great, great figures, and uh, and, and for the moment they have. There's a lot of work to uh, to rebuild the uh, the exit market.
1: Before, you know, we got excited about the topics and we, we ran a, a bit uh, <laughs> crazy and, and derailed the whole script, but I I, I really want to give you the opportunity, John, to talk a bit about your uh, partnership model because you know, I'm literally looking at my second screen here and I have Ventex locations open and it's it's, it's amazing, right? What you guys have built, it's, it's, it's really cool, it's super inspiring, but I think it's probably very much connected to that distributed partnership model. So tell us, tell us a bit about it. Give us a quick rundown, yeah. uh, and, and, and then we can, we can get back on track. with <laughs> Yeah,
2: th- thanks. So the, um, the, the main decision that we made um, 12 years ago or something was, you know, uh, when we were well-established uh, as a, mostly a French player, doing a, a couple of deals here and there around, around France, but mostly a French player, uh, and um, uh, wanted to expand. You know, you, you, you can't stay still in, in our business, like in any business. So we wanted to do more, and RIPs were, were asking, like, do you want to do growth? And we said, you know, we, we gave it a lot of thought and said, no, it's a, it's a totally different business for us. Uh, it's about, it's about analyzing assets rather than analyzing vision and and uh, and, and and founding teams. Uh, and, and it's a different shape of of company in in my view. You know, uh, in a growth fund, you have a few senior partners and then you have a lot of uh, maybe maybe more junior people constantly screening the market and and getting updates and getting the numbers and stuff like that. This is not what we do. So, so we decided to, to remain a pure early stage investor. We built a partnership that is made for that with, with, with all senior partners. Everybody in the partnership has more than, than 10 years in VC and uh, and sit on the board and do the due diligence and do the deal. So we do everything ourselves, right? This is the uh, benchmark model, so to say, uh, if, if, if I had to pick a role model. And, and so we said, but, but what we're going to do is that we're going to expand internationally because it will enhance our benchmarking capacity and it will allow us to, to do great deals in other geographies. When, when we started in 2013, the, the obvious place to go was Germany. It was underserved, big market, great entrepreneurs, totally underserved in VC at the time. Uh, and, and we had a, a, long, a long-time friend of, our, of ours that was, who was ready to join. So we launched Germany. And we're very happy about that. We now have three uh, full dealmakers in Germany, Berlin and Munich, and, and, uh, um, and, and doing great progress on that. And then we said, you know, this is, this is just great. I mean, the, the playbook is great. we want to do it again. And, uh, and, and we said, you know, where do we go from there? And, and so basically you had the choice. If you take France is 20%, roughly 20% of the US, uh, of the European market. Germany is 20% of the European market. Then you have London, 40% of the, of, the, uh, of the market. And then you have the Nordics, another 20%. And so we said, okay, do we have, do we have credibility to be in London, which is probably the most competitive market uh, these days? And do we have a specific angle? And, and we said, no, but you know, there's a low-hanging fruit that's here for us, which is the Nordics, which has proven uh, for the past 10 years or 15 years that it was overperforming all of Europe in terms of value creation. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of people going there for Series B and C, and, and there are a few excellent local players at early stage, but no one has set up shop from the outside as an early stage investor in the Nordics. And so uh, we started that, and we met with all the founders, all the VCs, and said, you know, um, we, let's, let's go invest uh, with you. Let's go lead with you. We're going to bring stuff that you don't have. And we're not pure competitors, so it's it's going to be great, and we, we're super happy. We started that end of 2016. Uh, we established in Helsinki because there was a senior partner who we wanted to work with, but uh, but but we've we've done we've done um, uh, deals in, uh, in 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 Sweden, in in Finland, in Denmark, and and we're very excited about that. Actually, maybe the best deal of our Ventec Five is in Denmark. A company <laughs> a company called Vio Technology. If you you, you should have a look, yeah. it's just oh yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And and actually, we thought that. The the, the market in the Nordics is very interesting. I mean, the deal flow quantity is not huge,
3: but the average quality is just great.
1: To our listeners, and the little smirk and smile when you heard that. <laughs> when you heard
3: that, <laughs> I was actually I was about to say that we have in, uh, in Denmark, and I think it's it actually permeates most of uh, the Nordics. We have a, a saying that is called the law of Janta, which is don't don't believe you're anything, and I think that that leads only the very best founders to actually. I believe you can build something amazing. <laughs> um, so that explains a bit the lack of, you know, breadth in deal flow, but also the uh, the quality of the ones that actually.
2: Come uh, that's to. interesting. It, it used to be like that in France, and then and then uh, from from five years earlier, it's now everybody wants to start a company,
3: which is good also, which is good also. Yeah, well, I, I think we we do have that as well, right? But I, I think that they, that's something that's taken over all of Europe, and every young person thinks that they should be entrepreneurs and they should raise venture capital for their corner store bakery or something like that (laughs) you don't have to (laughs) um but but i do think that there is something to the culture um that is instilled in people from a very early age that that even though that there's a a superficial trend going on that makes people think that they should do that kind of thing it i think it still keeps denmark or danish people in in the mindset of you know, being quite self-critical. With, with the current setup, we're, we're super happy. Uh, uh, the the the, um, the reason why we
2: we, we, we talk about that distributed partnership is because we we try to avoid at all costs to to build a partnership with a a, a super strong headquarter in Paris and satellite offices yeah. where where people are not empowered enough. Because, you know, again, talent is the most important thing in our in our view. So if you send a principal in Berlin and that uh, you know uh, he or she sh- shakes hands with the founder saying yeah. I'm going to bring that, your, your deal to the, to the investment committee, to the partnership, and we're going to do it. I love your deal, blah, blah, blah. And the, 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 the partnership says no once, says no twice. Then if you have talented people, say, okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm out of yeah. this. So, so we need local partners totally empowered. And that, that's what we do. That can speak for the partnership. And hence, senior partners. And when I say senior, senior is not about the age. I don't care about the age. So, so we have partners in, in our firm, equal GPs between 34 years old and, and 58 years old. I, I don't really care. It's about the experience. And I was
3: about to, to ask you if you could expand a bit on when you say empowerment, right? Because empowerment means many, you know, we've all been taught that we need to think about empowerment. And then when you get into the details, there's very different perspectives on what empowerment means. But it, <laughs>
2: it, it's pretty simple. It's a totally flat partnership. You, you bring and take uh, the, the same, whether you're in, in Paris, Helsinki, Berlin or Munich. So uh, you convince the partnership and then you, you, you speak for the partnership and that's it.
3: But yeah. you come with the same credit. And you come with the same credit if you're if you're in, in your in your 30s or in your 50s. And to any anyone listening here thinking that this sounds cool and and interesting to dive a bit deeper on, then we actually had one of your uh, your, your co partners on the show and had a long conversation about exactly how she she grew up inside the firm and why she chose to be uh, loyal <laughs> to the firm rather than than jumping to another one because that's typically what we see in VC. So I think I think that that you know we've got a, an interesting combination there with with you saying from founder slash top leadership uh, uh, perspective, how you thought about building it. And then we've got her uh, take on, yeah, for sure. on on it from the other side, right? Thanks. Proof of the pudding.
1: And you guys can find it if you're listening in and interested. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Moving on. Uh, we ran a bit over time and that's all good because we're having fun. We're going to go into the quickfire, Jean. And that is how we love to end our episodes. That is quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Yep, yeah, I am. The first question is, what areas, sectors, or technologies excite you the most, but that you don't find people around you getting that excited about?
2: The second part of the question is tricky. I, I think we're, we're very excited about the transition to the cloud. Uh, and, and, and we think that we, we we only see the beginning of... Um, of, you know, all the, all, the, all the tools and all the technologies that will enable the big corporations to, uh, to move to the cloud. There's a massive opportunity in, in uh, cybersecurity. There's a massive opportunity in performance management uh, and, and all, all things like that. Uh, we don't shy away when it comes to deep tech investments, right? So that's it. And uh, to be a bit controversial, I'm, 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 a, big, I'm a big fan of, of Web3 and, and, and NFTs and, uh, and crypto and stuff. And I think, uh, you know, I've, I've lived through the ninety nine 2000 crisis and, and that was very similar. So uh, I kept saying people last year, oh, this is 99 all over again. And, and, and it, it means two things. First is, do not spend all your money now because 95% of it will be burned. But it's time to work hard on understanding what's happening uh, because, because I, I deeply think that it's here for, for 20 years. And all the guys that said in 2001, 2, 3, I don't want to touch that that e-commerce or web that's, thing again. That's very cool that, that you said okay. that.
1: You almost answered my second question. I'm going to ask it anyway because I do think it's worth highlighting. The second question of the Big Fire is: What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are now fundraising?
2: Number one tip is keep faith. Fundraising is a is a very unfair process. When you're an emerging VC, either you come with an established track record because you are a, you know a new combination of existing LP, uh, GPs, sorry. Working together or not, and uh, and that's fine because uh, there's a a common uh, view about uh, amongst LPs that that those are very valuable combinations. So that's cool. If you're not, uh, if you're new in that business, I think you have to have an angle, a specific angle. Otherwise, you know, if you if you just go there and say I'm a generous VC, it's too hard. So you need to have a specific angle, and you need to understand that with a specific angle comes a higher risk. I love that. That's it.
1: Secret sauce and, and risk profile. I love that. Finally, the third and last question, Jean. What has been your most counterintuitive learning since you started Ventech twenty-two years ago or so?
2: I don't know if it's counterintuitive, but the the thing I I think you have to learn when you come into that business of being a VC after being an executive in the industry, uh, which which is counterintuitive when you join, is to know when to stop, because as a as an executive, you're 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 compensated. All your life to fix things that are not going well and uh, and t- to never give up unless you know corporate tells you this week we-, we drop uh, in vc you know do not spend any time trying to fix something that is not working uh, you cannot lose more than one time your money that's the rule you know rather than, than, than wondering how do i get 50 cents on the dollar rather than 30 cents on the dollar concentrate on how do i get 15x rather than 10x learn to to say up oh, not working, not going to fix it, sorry. And by the way, I always tell the, the entrepreneurs, at least the mature ones, because for the, for the young ones, it's more difficult to, 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 to hear. to say, you know, do not yourself spend 10 years trying to fix something that's not working. You maybe have 20, 25 years in your prime as an entrepreneur. Do not waste 10 of them fixing something that's not working. Find a buyer, find a home for your venture. Uh, it's good for employees. It's good for customers. It's good for the product. Uh, even at very low price, who cares? And
3: move, do something else. Sean, I have loved this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on the European VC podcast. We will always want to welcome you from the Ventec team back on the podcast. So thanks a million for joining. Thank you very much. And,
2: and, and thanks for your, uh, your your great efforts to, uh, to make our business uh, more well known to, uh, to the community.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.